of God's Word to Mark chapter 1 this morning. Mark chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 21 and 22. Mark chapter 1, 21 to 22, continuing in the series, following the servant king of faithfulness to the king at all costs, and this is what the Word of God says, Mark 1, 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum, they being Jesus, and the four disciples he just called along the Sea of Galilee, Simon, his brother Andrew, and then James and John, the brothers of Zebedee. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Shabbat, the seventh day of the week, he being Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. For he taught them as one, I'm sorry, and they were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. God, thank you for the hope born in Jesus incarnate, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, living a perfect life, dying a sinner's death, residing in a borrowed tomb and resurrecting from the dead. Thank you that we've encountered your presence here already and we ask that through my brokenness and inadequacies, you would speak powerfully, clearly, chip away our calloused brokenness and mold within us the image of Christ so that at the end of this time, we'd respond in a way that honors you and we'd be able to leave this place as a united mission front for the glory of of you, God our Father. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are on your couch, perhaps, maybe in your man cave of a garage or on your back patio. Imagine for a moment that you are tuned in to your favorite, beloved news network station. You there with me? You know, whichever news outlet is always right in your eyes. The one that never... Puts forth fake news, okay? And imagine you're just watching it as normal, whatever that looks like. Probably turning it up so you can hear it, then turning it down so you can talk back and gripe at it back and forth. And imagine out of nowhere the unthinkable happens, something unprecedented, something you've never experienced witnessing on your beloved news network. Let me stop you because I'm pretty sure I can guess what many of you are thinking. Many of you are thinking, okay, the unthinkable pastor. Yeah, that's probably something like this. I'm tuning into my favorite news network. And for the first time ever, they're reporting on the bad guys, the other news network, whatever that is to you, wherever you are in your walk of life. And they're reporting something unlike ever before, the unthinkable. They're reporting that they have admitted their erroneous ways. They've uncovered and displayed before everyone to see their sin and transgressions of fake news. And not only that, but they are requesting passionately how they can come and join the light and the side of goodness. That would be huge, right? Okay, maybe for some of you, depending on which network it is or not. But no, I want you to think of something more unthinkable. Something more unprecedented. Something bigger. Imagine you find yourself in a local waiting room, maybe a doctor's office, maybe a a mechanic shop. 
and whatever reason you can't explain it, but you've been divinely favored where you have apprehended the coveted remote control in the waiting room and you have control of the TV in the waiting room. And you're going to make a stance. You're going to make a statement. You flip it to your favorite beloved news network station and you're watching it and you're enjoying it. Attaboy, yeah, tell them how it is. No, that's fake. I can't believe that. And then commercial comes and you do as normal. You flip over to the bad guys. Because for whatever reason, your blood pressure is not high enough, so you always flip over to your commercials just to see how bad they really are. But then when you flip back to the good guys, you realize something. Something like never before. You realize some type of simultaneous broadcast. They've got a man on both channels simultaneously. For the first time ever, unlike ever before, there's a message being shared on both networks the good, the bad, the ugly, indifferent, everything between. And unlike ever before, all sides of this polarizing spectrum are in awe. Regardless of where they found themselves as red or blue, donkey, jack, wagon, or elephant, wherever in between, they have for the first time all in agreement looked to this person proclaiming some type of presentation and said, that guy is right. That guy got it figured out. We can't really explain it to the full detail that I know he understands, but at the conclusion of this presentation, there in the mechanic shop or the doctor's waiting room, unlike ever before, every one of you from all walks of life in that waiting room are saying, there is the authority. He knows what he's talking about. I don't understand it all, but he's worthy of our collective, unified, agreed attention. I don't understand it all, but I as simultaneously want to get behind it and support it. I'm also feeling unsettled and alarming and panicked. And there is this agreement, this reaction, unlike ever before. But rather than going home to your favorite living room, chair and tuning into your favorite network or going to a local waiting room over the holiday season. Verses 21 and 22 show us something very similar unfolded in a synagogue on a particular Sabbath in Capernaum with Jesus our Lord and four of his first called disciples. Where for the first time, unlike ever before, there was a unified, a collectively agreed reaction by all parties involved to the point where all doubt was dismissed and it was crystal clear he's the authority there's something different and something worthy when it comes to him and the message he's proclaiming and the word of God says they went into Capernaum that's the, the, one of the fishing villages around the Sea of Galilee and immediately on The Sabbath, literally meaning, like I said earlier, the seventh day of the week. We don't gather on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, or also literally means a day of rest or set apart, all with the the intent toward God. Resting or being set apart from labor toward God. Shabbat, Sabbath, seven. We gather on the first day of the week. Sunday, the Lord's Day. Here's something cool. In the Hebrew, it's Yom Rishon. Yom Rishon. Yo, he's Rizon, okay? You like that? That's how I got through seminary, okay? Yom Rishon. 
we gather on Sunday, the Lord's Day. We don't gather on Sabbath where we're resting or when he's in the borrowed tomb. We gather on the Lord's Day. Risen Resurrection Sunday. But they gathered then on the seventh day, the Sabbath, the day of rest set apart for the Lord, doing things with God's people, the Sabbath. And it's all within this structure of the synagogue system. Immediately on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, Saturday, beginning sundown on Friday, ending sundown Saturday, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. So within the Jewish culture, you have the synagogue system. Dates back all the way to 586 B.C. when they were taken as exiles to Babylonian to the north captivity. Where they were scattered and no longer able to physically enter into worship in the physical structure of a temple in Jerusalem. Because they were exiled in Babylon. So the synagogue system was the solution to their worship. To approaching God in his presence. So basically what it was, Jewish community of, of ten or more families would gather Weekly on the Sabbath, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And they would practice prayer. They'd practice praising God together. They'd practice opening the Torah, the law, the Old Testament. And reading through scripture and prophecy and promises. And then a rabbi or someone of leadership would come in and expound on what was just read from scripture. And what would happen was, someone would come in and the only authority they had was to reference other rabbis. Or reference tradition. And then they would praise some more and go along. And Jesus came into the synagogue situation. And what's interesting here is that even 2,000 years ago, not Fox News, not CNN, not MSNBC, 2,000 years ago, within the synagogue structure that God provided in His grace were two schools of thought. You were either in the camp of Hillel, L for liberal, Hillel, or the camp of Shammai. S for conservative, I don't know, okay? You're either one of these two camps, and they epitomize debate, ethics, religion, ritual tradition, theology. It seemed like they disagreed on every little jot and tittle. Here's the type of food you should eat. Here's whom can marry who. Here's the certain holidays we're going to practice. Here's what we're going to teach in our school systems and what's, who we're going to allow into our schools. They even disagreed on who they thought was right on everything. Could you believe that? Sound familiar? So Jesus and those four disciples enter into the synagogue on the Sabbath within the structure of the synagogue where it was tense. Whatever synagogue you went to, that was inevitably one of these schools of thought between Hillel or Shammai toward who you gravitated toward and whose agenda you supported. And Jesus comes in and something unlike ever before happens. A day, this particular Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. Now part of the customary of, of weekly prayer, praise and teaching, they would allow these itinerant preachers or speakers, rabbis, or any type of guest to come in and allow them to speak and expound on the scripture that was read from the Old Testament. So likely what happened up to this point, Jesus had been around the area. He'd been doing things, teaching things. He'd begin to get some type of following. So likely they spoke to the synagogue leaders and said, hey, Jesus is speaking on this. Would you allow him to speak this Sabbath and come in and expound on Scripture? And providence of God and his redemptive history and his plan allowed it to happen. And here's this opportunity. Prayers have been offered. Praises have been offered. The music has settled. The Old Testament, the law has been read aloud. And Jesus is able to come up and teach according to the scripture before 
the congregation there at the synagogue in Capernaum. It says, they were astonished at this teaching. They being everybody. All sides of the polarizing spectrum were in agreement. It was validated based on their physical reaction. They were in awe. It says, astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. I don't want us to move too quick here. I want us to recognize what God's word says about astonished here. It's not that they were collectively impressed. Oh, wow, this was the guy. He was hanging out with these fishermen. He was born of that lady who was betrothed to Joseph. That's still a pretty messy gossip situation. But now his teaching, that's really impressive. Oh, Jesus, could you repeat that again? That's that's Twitter-worthy. I want to get it out there on the social media. That's cool. That's not at all what the Word of God is talking about, astonishment here. They were astonished because he taught as one with authority, unlike the scribes, unlike the teachers of the law. And here's what it literally means. A teaching that incited panic. Sheer shock. Shockwaves pulsing throughout the room. Gripping the fiber of every one of their beings based on what he had just said. And they're all in agreement unlike ever before in this response validating that he is the one with authority. They're in shock They're terrified. They're trembling at their very core because he is taught with an authority unlike the scribes in in immediate um, direct contrast to what they're used to. Rabbi after rabbi, scribe after scribe, coming in Sabbath after Sabbath, reading the law and referencing who? Referencing other rabbis. Referencing other tradition. If you know um, any um, Orthodox Jews... I have some dear friends who are Orthodox Jews, but I joke with them because they can really manipulate and stretch some of those Old Testament stories. I have a a beloved friend who was a tour guide for me in 2013 in Israel. He's still convinced to this day that, that no, Moses did not sin against God when he spoke or struck the rock or whatever he actually really did in history. It was just God's way of teaching them a greater lesson and Moses was okay and he wasn't really being punished. That's the type of dead dry, manipulated tradition that these rabbis would expound on week after week. But then Jesus comes in and he says something where they are trembling because there's no doubt about the authority he carries. As you read through this, right, he he teaches. He teaches as one with authority. That's why they're astonished because it's unlike the scribes, unlike the teachers of the law. But what you'll notice here, we... We haven't even considered what he actually taught, have we? There's a reason for that. I don't drive the sermon. This does. Because he's inspired these words. And Mark 1, 21 and 22, inspired by the Spirit of God, chose to not insert the actual teaching that Jesus expounded on during his time that particular Sabbath. So I'm not even going to get into that. Why? I gave you the primary reason. The secondary is this. Mark's emphasis here is the reaction. The reaction to the authority of what was taking place. And what was taking place, they said, they were astonished. They were gripped with this trembling to their being, this alarm, this panic, based on the authority that was displayed from his teaching. 
Because he knew so much, though he knew so much and he's omniscient, no, that's not why they were awestruck. Because unlike any other rabbi or scribe to this point, rather than Jesus coming in and referring to another prophet or referring to another rabbi or saying, yeah, according to so, so and so Hillel or Shammai, this is how we interpret this scripture. He came in and said, let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is at hand. I am the king. And it has nothing to do with him expounding in detail or such depth and eloquence of a sermon or a proclamation. It's him speaking and them realizing that the authority is not in his message, but that he himself is God and within him and his very existence is the ultimate authority that demands their allegiance. God himself from heaven, opening his mouth in that synagogue in Capernaum that Sabbath and speaking the very word of God. And they collectively, in agreement, were astonished. He's the authority. No doubt, he's the one we should back. I don't understand it all. It's even unsettling to me, but that's what I want to direct my life toward and be about. So here's where it leads us this morning, church. You can flip there if you want, or you can just listen to it. But we have on that Sabbath in Capernaum, Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, the second person of the Trinity, speaking. Mark says it doesn't matter what He actually said. That's literally not the matter at hand, but the reaction that it demanded. Because this is what we know about the Word of God in Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and to the division of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why astonishment there doesn't mean they're impressed. That's why it means they're trembling to their very core because they recognize the authority that was before them in their presence and what it demanded of them in the presence of God himself. And so Mark's emphasis on their reaction in the synagogue that day demands we consider this, church. What's your reaction to the word of God in your life? What's the reaction to the word of God in your life. Does it line up with what we see in verses 21 and 22? Is it astonishment? Are you just so struck with trembling at your core based on who he is and the reality of that? Maybe you're somewhere over here. Like that bad news network or the camp of liberal Hillel. Maybe when it comes to the Word of God, your reaction is so apathetic, you don't remember the last time you felt it actually impact your life. Maybe you come to church, you look the part, you love the country club aspect of things, you especially love the Christmas time, but you don't really favor walking through verse by verse through Scripture because you don't recognize the authority in it and you just are numb to it. You come in and you go out. Or 
Are you right in the middle where God wants you to be? Not so crazy extreme, not so apathetic and numb, but right in the middle where you recognize I'm not going to allow the secondary things to pull me apart, but I'm going to be right in the middle in line with Jesus Christ and pledge my allegiance to his authority in my life, that this is the word of God. I will allow it daily to search me and try me and know me, purify me, and then I will lay it as a template over every area of my life as I go out and allow it to shape who I am and the life I impart to those around me. came into the synagogue. He taught. They were astonished because he taught as one with authority like never before. And the reaction demanded of every one of us daily as believers in Christ is an allegiance to that and trusting it. Because it's true, it's living, it's active. Simple thing we hit up in men's Bible study a few weeks ago. Simple thing we teach our kids Four things. Jesus rose from the dead. That makes him God. We're going to try that again. We're going to go for some amens. Jesus rose from the dead. That makes him God. Amen? Amen. That's a good thing, church. It's not a funeral, okay? It's a funeral Friday, okay? We had some mourning three days, but then Sunday he rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. That makes him God. Amen? Amen? If he's God, he cannot lie. Amen? And if God cannot lie, every word in this book is eternally true. Amen? Amen. So those three things. If Jesus rose from the dead, he's God. If he's God, he cannot lie. If he cannot lie, every word in this book, 66 books, is true. And therefore, every encounter of life can be met with the truth from this word. Because if, God, if Jesus rose from the dead, making him God, if God cannot lie and making this completely true, whatever we face out there, we can lay this over and say, what does the Bible say? And because Jesus rose from the dead, making him God, a God who cannot lie, whatever this says, that's what I will pledge my allegiance to. And the reaction Mark emphasized here is that in every situation of life, no matter what it feels like, no matter what it looks like, no matter if it blows your steep tradition of synagogue structure out the window. If it's in here, you do it. If you trust in it and you do it, God promises to you his very best. So God, we thank you so much that in your infinite wisdom, you preserve these two verses not to see the outline of Jesus' sermon, but you allowed us to emphasize the reaction. And God, as we focus on that during this time of prayer, it's not easy, Lord. Because God, I know my reaction to your word is not always astonished allegiance. God, I confess to you, my reaction to your word is not always astonished allegiance. And for that, I am sorry. God, as we here together consider that reality, Lord, it does grieve us. We are sorry that we flippantly deal with your word, that we take it for granted that we have published Bibles in our possessions 
We are sorry that we don't always respond to your word with astonished allegiance. God, we ask right now that while you're still here in this place with us and your spirit is moving and anointing this time and preparing us to go out with a week ahead, would you reignite it, Father? Would you captivate us? Would you cause us to be undone by the reality of who you are, the authority that you possess as eternal God? Lord, you know those countless situations we're facing where daily we're met with the opportunity to compromise, the the opportunity to water things down and say, well, maybe this one area I will give in a little and not fully trust in your word. But Father, I pray that you would dismiss that, that you would reject it, that that you would bar Satan, just cause him to be completely powerless, render him powerless in our lives, that we today in this place recommit ourselves, reignite the passion within us with an allegiance to your word, trusting in the simplicity that truly you rose from the dead and are God. And as God, you cannot lie because you cannot lie. Every word from your holy script is true and reliable. May we take that from this place. May you be glorified as we receive your best for us. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Church, let's stand together. We have the opportunity to respond, to react to the word of God. Not respond to me, not respond to Pastor John down here. But as the Spirit's continuing to move, we trust and are open to what he desires of you. Maybe it's walking down this aisle and praying. Maybe it's coming to to pray with John or I. Maybe it's a decision of membership or salvation. Let's make the most of this opportunity. Bob, continue to play, begin to play for us. And we're going to worship in this song of response.